0: You're listening to the PT Profit Podcast, episode number 22. Today, I'm sitting down and talking with Chris Kelly all about how to assess and train your client. So are you ready? Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Beverly Simpson, former fitness manager turned online personal training business owner What's up, coach? I'm Beverly Simpson, the host of the PT Profit Podcast, and I'm super excited to bring this episode to you. So thank you so much for joining me. I have a very special guest, Chris Kelly, the owner of The Fitness Rehab in South Florida, and I'm super pumped because we went through a lot of things in this episode. In fact, I recommend bookmarking this episode and going back to it because we talked about so many things. And Chris gave us a ton of things that we can implement today to become better personal trainers and better coaches, how we can assess movement and how we can increase performance for our clients, whether they are a general population or competitive athletes. And Chris shares his story, his personal story about how he went from being a competitive athlete and how his injury impacted him and how it brought him to where he is today. So he specializes in working with people using specific strength training, corrective exercise, and nutrition coaching to help improve and maintain a quality of life. And we talk a lot about that inside of this in inside of this episode, but Chris is a master of movement. And he also speaks very, he also speaks very, he also talks about how he has used his education and continued education from all different types of movement, strength training, and how he's been able to implement that into his own system, his own framework, and how he's been able to change the lives of many, many people, how he's gotten them to go from rehab to performance. And it's a really powerful episode. And I'm really excited to dive in because I know you're going to love it. So without further ado, let's go ahead and roll that interview. Hey, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you today?
1: I'm doing great, Bev. It's it's a pleasure to have it's a pleasure to be on here. Uh, you know, so good to, you know, get to, you know, I've been listening to your podcast and it's so good to actually be on the other end. Thank you so much for having me.
0: No, really. It's my pleasure and privilege. I'm really excited. Today's going to be an awesome conversation. So, as we were chatting in the green room, we were really just talking about how you know the reason i started this podcast was so that we could help fitness professionals package their products and services and get it out to their audience but also sharpening the saw and becoming i think what happens to so many professionals is that it's either or right they're either like really immersed in education and then not implementing or they are you know really focused on selling their stuff and forgetting that, you know, the science of training is always changing. So I'm really excited to just get into this conversation because I know that you, I've watched you do both. So I'm really excited to get into this conversation, but can you just share with us a little bit about who you are, who you help and how you got there?
1: Yeah, no, no. So uh, my name is Chris Kelly. Um, I have a gym in uh, Lincoln, Florida called uh, Fitness Rehab. And you know, what we do is, you know, as the name implies, we kind of bridge the gap between fitness and rehab. And that was always kind of my my interest. Um, so th- the way that I got into fitness, like my um, my dad was a college football player. Like for those of you that are football fans, he played uh, football for the University of Florida. Steve Spurrier's Heisman year was his freshman year. So that shows you how old he is. But um it was always, like my, both my parents, my mom was an elite triathlete, so both my parents were like super into fitness, so it was kind of always inevitable that um, I got into it. And so my first experience with training was like learning to bench on my dad's old weight bench at the age of 13 and like getting up to about like 185 pounds and then like the bench breaking on me. So um, for the first few years of, of training, it was just kind of like that. I just knew that, you know, I mean, I just absorbed all of it. I loved it. I was never the biggest, um, athlete. I was not a, I was not a, you know, I'm like five, eight, maybe, you know, and I was never the biggest or or the most powerful athlete, but training really helped me to, um, to excel soccer. Um, and so for me, my goal was always to play pro soccer. I absolutely love, um, the game of soccer. It's, it's my passion. And so I fast forward a couple of years, I I got a uh, college scholarship to your university of South Florida, um, which is a pretty good division one school. And that was like, I was like, man, I was just, you know, I was so immersed in it. And, um, I, I played some my freshman year, but my sophomore year, the, my preseason, we were, we were a preseason friendly. Um, it was like the 93rd minute of the game. I'm a fullback. So I was like up at the other other end of the field. I was fatigued. I went to cross and I just missed and I tore my ACL. So it's full ACL tear, which like back then was like, um, and I'm old. So, you know, back then, that's like 11, 12 months if you come back the same way at all. And that's, so I had surgery. I had surgery and my, my surgeon told me in the consult afterwards, he's like, you know, just be prepared to not, you know, be where you were. Be prepared to not play again at that level. You know, you're, you're probably going to, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're likely going to experience some complications. And like, that's like telling me not to breathe anymore because I'd been so, you know, obsessed with that my whole life. You know, and so I lost my way for a while and I guess I ended up working with an athletic trainer and a strength coach that was kind of an early adopter of a lot of these principles that we use um, in my business now. And this was like 2002. Um, And so they were doing, you know, things like functional movement screen and, you know, applied kinesiology and all this stuff where it was just like blew my mind but um the main takeaway from that though is that i worked with this guy for like nine months and he taught me about my body um he taught me more about myself and training and just that side of things than i i mean for me before that it was like bench curl squat you know maybe power clean or something like that and it it was just the basic lifts so once we did that um you know i was much more intuitive i you know the way that i trained trained and looked at the body completely changed and, um, you know, I, 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 I walked back onto my team a better athlete, you know, I, I remember crying after I played again for 90 minutes, and it was like this emotional thing for me, then um, I felt like I'd been given back something that had been taken from me, you know, and, and so that that will always that stuck with me and I continued to train um, fast forward a couple of years it moved to New York City went to journalism school. Um, I was a writer for like various like fitness publications um, and I ended up buying a gym back in uh, back in where I'm from because it's the only place I could get a loan and um, you know and, and since that since then you know I've survived a recession I've you know I've survived all these things but um, I've just done that since then I you know I'm, I'm I come from a non-traditional background I come from, I have a master's in journalism I I uh, you know i and, you know, that's, it's weird, but I, I've always just kind of gone to the best places where the smartest people are um, and learned from those people. And, and that's, um, I remember early on, you know, kind of to allude to your point about the being a, knowledge, a knowledgeable marketing, like I had no idea what I was doing in the beginning. Like I would just, uh, you know, the, the economy, I bought a gym that had a bunch of members and the economy just wiped that out after 2008. And I just remember, um, I went to a perform better summit, like in like maybe 2000, early 2008. And I, I remember Alan Cosgrove, like I, I just like cornered him after, uh, um, after like what, in one of those question things that you do. And he's like, he's like, learn, he's like, that's what you need to do. He's like, he's like study for at least one hour a day and you'll be an expert in anything that you do. Mm-hmm. And that really stuck with me. And I just remember, um, I, I, and I say to this day, I really do believe that knowledge is power. Um, I I still do that. I still study at least one or two hours a day. And and I think that curiosity and that interest um, has kind of kept me learning all this stuff that has allowed me truly to define myself in my own like market. Um, I think that... You know, kind of like we were talking about in the green room, it's like the stuff that we are learning, you know, the people that listen to this podcast are high level, you know, the things that we're learning, the things that we care about breathing biomechanics, all of those things like those are uncommon in therapy, rehab and training. And so by learning that stuff that really is the gilded edge. And even if we all kind of are in the same bubble. That bubble only exists in a small portion of the, you know, the interwebs, you know, that doesn't exist in your town, you know, and that still to this day is the thing that for me, we still get most of our, um, we still receive most of our business through word of mouth because of that, you know, because of the things that I'm learning and because people are like, it's weird, but it works for some reason. So I think that the way that I got to where I am now is just through just continuing to get better more than anything else. I mean, my story is just about continuing to persevere and move forward and continue to learn so that was a long-winded answer to your question but there you go.
0: You brought, I love it you brought up two things that I definitely want to you know revisit yeah. one is that you brought up something and I say it all the time and it's really important to remember is that no matter what you're in whether you are you know a physical physical therapist or, or physiotherapist rather or personal trainer, high level is that it's easy to look out into the space and think, Oh, everyone's talking about the same thing. When in reality, your circle of friends is really this big. It is a drop in the ocean compared to what is out and compared to what people are being taught and being told from a professional level.
1: No doubt. You know, and, and I guess the thing that I've realized through my learning process is that I, you know, one of the things that I wish that I had more of was kind of like professional mentorship. You know, I put a lot of this stuff together on my own, but um, since I really started to engage more with other coaches, like people like Alex Zephyr and Katie Sinclair and you, know, all the, and, you know, all of these smart people that are doing amazing things, um, the better I become, you know, and, and, and the more that, the more I realize that rather than comparing myself to other people that are doing the same thing that I'm doing, I'm like, I don't care. Like, I just want to get better. It doesn't matter to me. You know, I, I just want to learn from people that are doing great things and just learn why, you know? And so I, I, I find that for me, that's kind of be the evolution that, you know, we've taken these systems like FRC and PRI and, you know, all of these things, Bill Hartman's intensive and all that stuff is great. But nothing, nothing really beats peer mentorship. You know, people that have already learned this stuff, that are doing it, you know, looking at their journey, talking, talking to them about it and reasoning through it. Because otherwise, it takes people a million years to put this stuff together, if, if ever, right? So that has been my – that's kind of really helped me is just kind of getting – Building friendships, building my network, building those relationships, because those relationships are the things that have given me context, you know, and, and that's been a game changer for me because it makes my process so much more uh, efficient, I guess you could say. So, yeah, no, absolutely.
0: And what I really love, because to me, when I'm hearing you say it, to me, that is the difference between learning something and implement implementing something, because- right say it all the time, right? I actually got some hate recently on a, on one of my, on my videos that I posted, which I, I completely understood. But the thought was that I wasn't saying education's not important, but what happens is that people forget to implement what they're learning. And yeah. I th- Part of that will come because part of part of learning is the implementing and then talking it with your peers and talking it with through and mentors to figure out what happens. Have we tried something that the book said and then it doesn't work?
1: Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because I I feel like um, like some of the things that I've learned over the past. I'd say for the past probably decade, like I've gone hard, I've learned, you know, and I've taken, I took NKT and then I took FRC and then I took like all of the um, PRI stuff, I took everything and you know, the biggest thing is it's like I, I go back now and it's like I feel like early on when people are learning things, they just learn, take in as much information as they can, you know, it's like you're just devouring information. And that's unfortunate because the problem is that you remember five percent of it that you know i mean if really and it's it's kind of like you remember it and it's like in order to really use something you have to play with it you have to experiment with it and you have to kind of make it put it into what you're doing and so it's almost like you need a framework before you do that you know and so for me that's why it took me so long to you know yeah i learned all this stuff but in a lot of ways it just confuses you you know and what i find that with myself now is like I'm going back to a lot of the things that I learned like three or four years ago. And I'm like, I'm looking at them with a new context because I have more of a, an established framework of the way that I operate. Like for me, I have um, one of the really cool things that um, Kyle Dobbs talks a lot about is just creating, you know, act- is creating principles, you know, and having, having what your principles are, you know, making, looking at everything within the context of principles. You know, and if I could give a trainer any advice or really any therapist or anybody, it's just create your principles based upon what you learn. You know, I mean if you could create one bullet point based upon like for example, proximal before distal, right? You learn PRI, that's what it's all about, influence the position of the rib cage and the pelvis, stack things, you know, and if you could just use that lens to look at everything else, then you know, the, the way that we put these other pieces together make a lot of sense. I find that a lot of education is tool based. It's like you learn something and it's like, it's awesome. Like I'm going to do cars. It's great. I'm, I'm going to do applied kinesiology. I'm going to do all of these things, but they're not in themselves uh, systems. They're just exercises. So it's almost like getting that framework first you know, and then looking at everything else, Bill Hartman talks about first principles. You now, what are the first principles that dictate function in every other area of the body? You know, I, and again, proximal before distal would be for me a first principle. Um, and that helps me to then put into context everything else that I learn and then how I um, move into everything else. And so it's been it's been a humbling journey. It's kind of like, are you smarter than a fifth grader? You know, it's like you, you, learn, you learn all this stuff in fifth grade, all this anatomy and everything else, but you forget it. You know, and it's like you go back later and you're like, man, had I paid attention to that more, like I would be a fifth grader knows probably more about anatomy that year than your average trainer or therapist. You know, it's just they forget by sixth or seventh grade. So I, I just think that it's kind of like that. So for me, it's kind of like just going back and relearning the basics and, and you know, doing that. That's, that's helped me. And it's it's humbling, but you realize how much you don't know, you know, and, and just kind of where you start and where everything else emanates from, I guess you could say.
0: And what I really love about that approach, too, is I think that that is the approach that helps people from getting dogmatic about whatever. Yeah do because we're tribal people right and the way you know especially too when it comes to marketing we're always thinking of that position of us versus them but when you operate from principles then you are able to look at things through your lens through a different context and then be able to take things from all different areas
1: yeah and i guess that's kind of like and it's funny having taken a bunch of these different systems. I see that a lot. I see these people that will like, for example, take, you know, a system and, and they, they stay, they stay in that system and they become further entrenched in that system. And that's really cool because their age system has a community of people that, you know, develop confirmation bias and kind of, you know, pump one another up and support one another and help to grow one another's social media. And that's really cool. I mean, that's fantastic. But at the same time, it's like, I see those same people and it's like, they're always talking about the same stuff, you know? And it's, I guess it's kind of just figuring out like, what do you want to, who do you want to be? You know, like, like I wish I were more popular online, but the reality of it is I cannot stay attached to any particular group of people too much because they all represent parts of my journey that I use when I, as I need it, you know? And so um, it's just, and, and you have to kind of decide, like, are you trying to just become better or are you trying to use some sort of approach that is going to help to promote you in you know through that system, you know, and I, I've seen that a lot and that's not a it's not a bad or a good thing. I mean, every system talks in a lot of, talks in about the same principles in different ways. But I think the best, as you say, the best therapists, the best trainers, the best coaches are the ones that are always trying to sharpen the saw within, you know, what they do. You take what is useful, you discard what is not. So um and and just constantly trying to and whether that means you know biomechanics anatomy or psychology or nutrition or whatever you know i mean you get to a point even with this stuff where it's like you're you're you get to a point of diminishing returns and you're like okay i need to understand people better because i need to get them to actually do what i'm asking them to do you know if i get so far off in terms of explaining people like katie sinclair does a great job of simplifying things to Um, she does one of the best jobs of simplifying complex principles back to general population, the general population that I've ever seen. And I think that's the true mark for whether or not we're effective as a coach or a trainer or a therapist is, can we explain it to anybody, you know, can we explain it back to uh, just a regular adult or a child even that comes to see us because their back hurts or because they have, you know, this itis or whatever, you know, once we can do that, then i feel like it's time to probably move on and learn something else so yeah
0: that's a good point now there is something you did talk about that i'd want to circle back into in part of your story because i actually when i was yeah when i was just out of college i had dated a uh i dated a uh on the way professional soccer player he was okay. he was a soccer player d1 athlete at duke i guess
1: oh like, man like yeah, I'm sure
0: Yeah, but I remember from years ago, back then, like they didn't. He didn't have a training program. Like he was just focused on running because it was such a you know high you know running sport, really. And so it's interesting to me, and I'm curious. You know, as you have watched things evolve, like it's surprising to me now when I look back on it that he didn't have a strength training program.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's um well again like I, I'm talk, I'm back you know I, I played in the early two thousands you know and back then I mean that's that's like really the stone age I mean soccer soccer is an interesting sport because it's it's something that's still um, there's a lot of there's a lot of dogma as far as you know the the role of strength training you know the role of training what it does what it should do I mean the majority of most colleges are going to have a strength coach now. Um, and are going to be following a little bit higher level of a, of a program, but still to this day, um, what, I've, what I've noticed too in training a lot of um, a lot of higher level athletes, golfers, you know, swimmers, things that are not involved in the football team, like unless you're talking about a really higher level program, there are going to be, you know, strength coaches for football specifically, and then strength coaches maybe for like a sport like basketball, because those are, you know, major income uh, sports, but then, you know, then they have a bunch of other strength coaches that will like freelance throughout the different sports and that's kind of like the trickle down and that that's, that's usually what happens. That's what we had, you know, we, we, we were kind of like so we would do like um, the big three, you know, we would binge squat clean um, and, and we would do, you know, but it was, it was straight training. I mean, we trained like football players and that's, and that's fine. I mean, it, it, it definitely builds power and it gets you stronger, but as far as the specific needs of a, of an athlete for that particular sport. Yeah. I mean, it's not You know, I mean, to this day, it's it's still kind of and soccer as a whole has come a long way. I mean, certainly strength coaches in MLS and, you know, in in higher level college programs. I mean, they're doing GPS monitoring and they're implementing a lot of amazing things. But I would argue that at your average college, you know, at at your average D2 or lower level D1 school, you're still getting, you know, soccer is not the focus. So, you know, you're not going to have the technology per se. You're not going to have the recovery stuff per se. Um, and it is it is an issue. And, and looking back, I know that if had we trained differently, um, you know, mine was a non contact terrorist, So I can't really say that it would have been different. But at the same time, like, I wonder, like, would that have changed the way that I moved? Therefore, maybe I wouldn't have been hurt. I don't know. But I, I do know now that When I get a kid that is a, you know, a college player or or whatever, I look at what they're doing and I just try to I try to compliment what's what they're not getting. And a lot of the time that is the more specific like that is like, can their foot get into these ranges of motion? Can they can they pull their, you know, can they keep their knee bent as they pull through through stance, through the stance phase of gait, you know, little little nuances like that that'll just complement in a lot of ways offset um, what a lot of the stuff in the weight room will do, you know, so and, and it's, it's interesting, but I, I would say that your, your, um, I guess your, your boyfriend at the time was probably lucky that he didn't get hurt like me. <laughs> so because it was, yeah, at that time, I mean, it was just kind of like the Wild West, you know, you could, you could squat a lot of weight, but you know, if you're stiff the next, day, I remember one time before a game, we went out and I was curling I was like curling the the night before, like in the gym with a bunch of a bunch of the guys, and like I curled so much weight with a bar, I was arching my back so badly that like I couldn't play the next day. Like my back hurts so bad, you know. And that was something that our strength coach had us do, you know. He's he's like throw some more weight on there, you know. So it's just kind of like, you know, it's just it's just a different it's a different animal, you know. I mean, different different stroke for different people, right? So yeah, it's it's a it's a different world today, though. So yeah.
0: Yeah, it is. It is definitely different. And That was back in, he was playing back in the early 2000s and it feels like a yeah. completely different landscape yeah. now.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. It's very different and it's, it's in a lot of ways it's, it's gotten better, but it, you know, and again, I don't know college strength and conditioning in that realm that well, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's something that the more the more nuanced it becomes, I think, the better. You know, the more generalized it is, the the more you leave behind the specialty sports like tennis, soccer, things that need a little bit more of a um, you know, like football, especially um, you, know, you know the defensive positions. It's it's much more power based. It's much more like high load, high impact. You know, when you start to get into racket and court sports and you know that kind of thing, it becomes much more technical. It becomes much more Specialized and nuanced and and biomechanics like apply a lot more, you know, and I've seen a lot more return for those type of athletes with the stuff that, you know, we promote a lot because they need the nuance of movement, they need to change directions, they need to, you know, be able to decelerate, they need to rotate better, you know, all those things are important, like I would never bench press a soccer player because, again, I don't want to stiffen them, I want them to be able to rotate the thorax so they can drop a shoulder and turn on somebody, you know, so that and that's just not something back then that they did. You know, so training has come a long way in that way.
0: So, you know, I love that you're also bringing this up because I think that it actually also applies for general population, right? It's fun to talk about the athletes, but I think that what you, you know, you are talking about looking at what it is that they do, like as a soccer player, they need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And the same is true for general population. Moms need to be able to pick up their kids. Uh, people need to be able to, um, you know, they they want to, if they are uh, working professional they need to be able to um yeah. move and they have we need to be able to train you know gen population almost in the same way that we would think through an athlete just their their things that they're doing are different
1: no doubt no doubt i um, yeah and so our general population and like I feel like I feel like if you can train a 65 year old with back pain you can almost train anybody because they move so poorly they're stubborn and they they rarely listen to reason you know and, and it's um, for me I guess I've been lucky enough to like when you if you were to come to my gym like it's unimpressive like it's, it's a bunch of older people that are like 50 plus. You know, and and I say that if if you are fifty plus, then you are um, you're amazing. I don't, you know, it's all relative. I'm thirty eight, so again, it's it's all relative. But um, you know, they're, they're but they're doing things that um, they're squatting, they're deadlifting. You know, they're doing all of that. But a lot of it with that type of individual comes down to more. It the honest really falls more on how they move, and because a lot of adults never laid a foundation of that. And then they laid on top of that, like 30 years of being sedentary or stop starting their entire life, or even worse, like my dad is a good example. Like my dad, college football player, like super athlete, you know, could bench like 500 pounds and like run a four or five and just a monster in college, but then, you know, fast forward forty years. He's a lawyer. He's been sitting for forty years. Like he had major heart surgery a couple of years ago. You know, he can barely walk without pain. It's like you. He developed all of these when he was um, in his late thirties. Um, he was running and he heard this this popping and he just collapsed in pain. And it was he blew out a couple discs in his cervical spine. And it was just because he was um, he just created all this compression from all the impacts and cleaning and stuff when he was in college. And then. You know, it just again, it's just things that laid on top of that. And so like with with that in mind, when we're working with, you know, an older person or really any human being, um, you know, we have to lay a foundation first with that in mind, with the movement piece in mind. And and that is not to say that I don't want to get somebody strong, but. I've become a better trainer since I've gotten away from the idea that progressive resistance applies equally to everybody. It doesn't, you know, it really doesn't. It, for for an older, for, an older cli- for a client that's over 50 years old, like why do they need a power clean? Okay, why do they need to squat twice their body weight? It doesn't matter. You know, like that we have, I have a certain standard where I want to get them as far as what they can do. But like, um, it's, it's like, can they get off the ground? Okay, can they, can they shift from side to side? Like, do they have the capacity to tilt and anteriorly posteriorly tilt the pelvis? Like, do they have an understanding of that? You know, and really slow cooking that person, you know, taking them and giving them that basic understanding. And um, I really enjoy that part of it because you take somebody, if, if somebody is willing to accept the fact that there's, there's a threshold for everything, You know, and and within that threshold, you can do things. But if you go over that threshold and you start, it's like you can squat, but what are you squatting with? Okay, what are you using? You know, are you able to to stay straight as you squat? Are you able to bear weight or or is your body going to buckle as you move? You know, and it's kind of like if the person is willing to accept the fact that, you know, that exists and they're willing to have the humility to just kind of like build the ground up, then um, with a lot of the people that we work with, you know, we can get them super strong. We can get them fast. We can, you know, we sprint clients, we have them jump. I mean, all of those things are important because you're preventing falls. Um, you, know, you need maximal strength to carry things and all of that. But we have to start with a foundation. And so if I'm working with clients, like we have a foundation program where we're just working on sensory and motor stuff for about four to eight weeks. You know? and, and, and with a lot of my, my clients that will come to me with back pain, shoulder pain, neck pain, and there's a certain humility that also goes along with that. You know, you have to be willing to, to, you know, realize that I need to start over, you know, and I need to drop my preconceived notions of what exercise is and um, rebuild in a way that is going to be purposeful for my body. And some people are willing to accept that and some are not, you know, but I, I think for the ones that are, I mean, I, I enjoy doing what I do because the ones that don't just leave, you know, and the ones that do, stick around for a long time and feel better. So I, I think that the, you know, the the biggest thing is um, just slow cooking people. Just like they say, just like when you talk about working with young athletes, you want to slow cook them. It's the same thing with older athletes. You know, I want to slow cook them. I want to lay a, lay a strong foundation. And then like once they can do things, once they can, Um, control their pelvis, once they can control their ribcage in space, then I'm going to load them, but only at that point, you know, and and that might be a week, that might be a couple months, it just depends on the human in front of me, you know, but I, I would also say that for any trainers working in rehab, it's, if you get those basic principles down, if you teach the basics of that, how to, how someone can stack their body in space and just stand without pain or sit without pain, you're going to give the person so much better quality of life and you're going to, you're going to give them that understanding is like a light bulb. Once they have that, you know, then we can load them pretty quickly. So, um, you know, it's just building that base.
0: Do you think that, that, well, I guess I'll speak specifically for you. Have you had trouble creating like a client buy-in for when you are starting with, you know, the foundations and fundamentals? Has it, how, how have you, how have you gone from you know creating buy-in and then also getting them moving so they feel like they have a workout but it's actually doing something versus like let's just lay on the ground all day
1: it's a great question and um for those that and i've heard a lot of people say that um i've heard this a lot like people have a lot of people in interviews and different things trainers have kind of all the same things that we do will say I try to get them off the ground as quickly as possible you know I don't want them feeling I just rehab like I feel the opposite way okay I want them on the ground I want them to take time I want them to learn and the way that I get buy on buy in with it is that if you ask somebody what they want more than anything else okay they're going to say they want abs they're going to say they want arms and they're going to say they want like um, butt. Okay. Like I hear that all the time. Okay. All the time. Like I'll have people that will literally come in in wheelchairs and they'll be like, I want better arms or 90 year old. Like, like I want to, I want to get my, uh, I want to get my triceps filled for a date I've got on Friday. Great. Awesome. That's that's exactly what we're going to do. You know, luckily those same muscles are the ones that are going to help to anchor our pelvis in a posterior tilt. They're the same muscles that are going to help us to stack, you know? And so what I do is, I I have a program called Corey store that I teach as a class actually and it's 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 a lot of ground based stuff progressing the standing stuff but it and we call it a core training class and I just tell them it's core training. I just say look like um, putting it in the client's terms like you need to train your core your core is weak right. They're like of course. Yeah my core is really weak like clients understand that. So putting it in terms that they understand I just I'm going to be like all right. So our initial circuit, like A one, A two, A three, you know, we're gonna do a hamstring bridge to work on your uh, to work on your butt and your hamstrings. We're gonna do a standing uh, wall squat to do it in standing, you know, and then we might do like a bear hold to work on your abs. You know, I mean that is, you know, abs and abs and hamstrings, abs and butt. Like, and, and to be honest with you, there I have had zero issues with buy into that zero. Like people, people understand that. And I, and I also think that, you know, because I get a different population, like I get people who have had cervical fusions. I have people that have, that are trying to avoid, um, you know, surgery for spondylolisthesis or, or a, a laminectomy, like things like that. Like they're kind of, they kind of come to me with that understanding, but with general population clients as well, they just want to move and feel better. Like they get that too. Yeah. Now I will say, I will say that people that come from like, let's say like Orange Theory or something like that, um, you know, like uh, they're they're already super active, then it's a little bit of a different process. You know, I'll do it a little bit differently. But like in in that case, um, you just have to use, you just have to use implements to make it harder. Okay. So I might, for example, I might have them do like a longer split squat hold, or I might have them do something like a. You know, you can you can take self-limiting exercises. Like for example, like a, an airdyne sprint. Like almost anybody can do that. All right. Have them sprint the airdyne for 60 seconds. Split squat hold, single leg hamstring bridge, like things like that. Like you know, something relatively safe. Like a, maybe like a sled push or medicine ball slam. Like typically, what I find is that if somebody has an injured area, um, the rest of their body, at least some part of their body, can exercise vigorously. Okay, so like if I I'm working with a lot of ankle sprains for whatever ra- reason recently, so then instead of like an airdyne sprint, I might have them do like an airdyne push. Okay, for dumbbell press, like look we'll at the part of their body that is uninjured and train that for fitness, and then train the other area for health. I guess you could say at the beginning, build a base there. So that's the way that I do it with that type of population. But if I can, if I have my choice, and I you know I'm 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 gonna take somebody. And I'm just going to put them in that. We actually have a program called Before Fitness um, that is just a series of core classes that we have people do for a couple weeks before they start with us. That kind of provide them the concepts of like tucking, shifting. You know, it gives them an introduction into it. So it, it, it's uh, it's something that uh, you know a lot of people like because it's it's it, they they think it's a like a pre-core program. So that that's that's a couple of ways that I do it. You know, there's you, you have to appeal to the person, but that seems to tick t- t- the box for most people.
0: Yes, you said so many important things. Number 1, you you know just use the language that they use. Meet them where they're at. It's exactly what we, what I teach, like meet them where they're at. The second thing you said that I think is also important is that just because it's simple or looks simple doesn't mean that it's easy. When you're challenging a body in a way that they haven't been moving at before, it's going to be hard for them.
1: No, doubt. no doubt it's it's just having um <laughs> It's, I, I think as a trainer too you know i see what I see on instagram a lot is all of these in our circle right we're, we're publishing all of these exercises that are like super advanced but they're for us you know they're, they're like stuff that we try and stuff that we put in our own programming and, and really the reality is that we market to one another like we don't really market to the general population it doesn't seem like we, we market our our own like you know in our local markets and stuff but For me personally, like my goal is to not do that. I want to, I think that we have such a huge role to play in healthcare, but in order to do that, like we have to take it back to the people and simplify it to the degree that, and so in a a lot of cases, like a lot of these complex exercises that we see will never be utilized because we can't do it. You know, like, it's not like, like, it's like the eighty twenty principle, right? Learn the low hanging fruit, like learn to teach them these basic principles, learn to teach them to tuck a pelvis, um, learn to teach them to reach and retract the rib cage, like learn to teach them to laterally shift to one side versus the other, like move from side to side. If you can do that, you know, through basic exercises, then why do we need anything more than that? You know, it, it's just how far do we take it? And with, with a general population client that's 60, like they don't care. They just want to feel better. Like they don't really care what you do. That's the other part that I didn't mention before. Like if somebody trusts you and they just want to, they're there for you. They're there to talk to you. They're there to converse with you. They feel comfortable in your environment. Yes. So create a really, create a really solid program and then build your environments around that program. Like if you look at the stuff that we do with, with clients, it's not, it's very, very simple. You know, I mean, I make up more complex things for some classes that I teach, but like, you know, it, it really, it, it's just for that. I mean, there's no other reason. So I think that we could all do better, which is simplifying things a little bit more just realizing that, you know, learning the basics and then applying the basics has such great value, you know, and it makes you better. Once I once I learned that and I dropped my ego and I stopped trying to to implement some things that, you know, some places that people would never get to, I've I've been way more successful.
0: That's that's really Really powerful. Reiterating the basics is really powerful. Now you talked about, um, you talked about some very key performance-based exercises and metrics that you measure. I'm curious how you assess movement, at least when you are first seeing a client.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So part of, um, it, and again, it, it depends on the client. You know, I mean, it's like it, if, if they come in with pain, then I'm going to do a lot more stuff on a table than if it's just the general population client. But for me, it's it's obviously it's proximal before distal. So I want to look at rib cage position. I want to look at pelvic position. I want to look, I want to see can they shift from side to side? You know, can they can they get into their heels? Can they get into their toes? Can they you know where, where do they early extend and gate all those things? So. Can a person touch their toes? Okay, that's one thing that I look at. Can they can they squat below ninety degrees? Okay, that's a big one for me. Um, can they put their can they put their hand behind their back and touch their opposite shoulder? And then can they reach their arms overhead? You know, how far can they get? Okay, those things tell me a lot about what the rib cage can do and about what the pelvis can do. And that's that's how I start to train them. Okay, kind of based upon that. Like if they can't, for example, if if I have them. Um, if they squat and immediately they dump into anterior tilt, I know that they're gonna, you know, they're they're already biased towards that position. Um, so I'm going to work a lot on just teaching the tucking action um, and the reaching action. But um, again, that that just shows me do they have any weight shifting issues, you know, that type of thing. So you know, I can I can um, I can start to train them off of that, you know. Now it, and and that's also for us in our foundation program, like. I want somebody to squat below ninety degrees before we start to have them hinge. Um, I want you know I want somebody to be able to touch their toes before we start to substantially you know load the posterior chain. It's like stuff like that, but um, more more than more than anything else, probably those four things. You know, if I break it out a little bit further, I'll look at like um, uh, hip, supine hip flexion on a table. Um, that shows me again, how, where they, where their pelvis is in space. I'll look at things like hip rotation, because that shows me if they're maybe shifted to one side versus the other, you know, and I'll look at things like, um, humoral, internal and external rotation, because that'll tell me, can they fill a chest wall? Can they fill, um, a, uh, you know, an upper dorsal, rostral, thorax, things like that.
0: That's amazing. And Uh, I'll tell you that you're the first person I've ever heard tell me that you want them to squat before you want them to hinge. Really? Yes, I usually have been taught that we want to, well, uh, let me rephrase, I am a wide, so I am biased to hinging.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I always have taught hinging first.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and, and that's, and you know, traditionally, when I was, um, I kind of like looked at them as either or, you know, originally, you know, as, as I've gone along, but I guess what I found, and i I've, that was something that I heard from Zach Couples like a long time ago. But I, for me, it's like, if, if, if you think that it, as a wide, if you're gonna start out in a anteriorly shifted, kind of a nutated sacrum position, and you're already biased there, and you start to squat, and you can't even get down to 90 degrees, uh, between 90 and 120, then it doesn't make any sense to do that because you're just going to dump forward right so for me that's a really good mark is if i can get somebody to about 120 degrees of flexion then i know their pelvis probably can do can both tilt anteriorly and posteriorly pretty well you know and then i can start to to train them now what i will say is that with that person And, you know, a lot of I've heard with with narrows, it's like I I start narrows with squatting as well. But what what the difference is that I'm going to start them with squatting at about 90 degrees. I I, I love box squats for narrows like box squats with internal rotation. So box squats like maybe a wide stance box squat with a band around the knees or something because that's going to internally rotate um, the pelvis or if I'm uh, or like maybe a block between the knees. But I don't like that as much because it's awkward. Um, But teaching them a little bit more of a, you know, teaching them to propel a little bit better. Even if, even for them, um, I find that with a lot of narrows, it's like yes, they can get into into a hinge, but they can't control a hinge. Mm-hmm. So a box squat is really solid progression to start with that. So yeah, that that and that's a big one too because that's kind of like one of our primary lower body things. Um, we're going to we're gonna move to um, with a lot of my adults. What we t- what we end up doing is like we'll move to single leg progressions after they get to uh, maybe like we'll get them up to like maybe a 50 pound dumbbell or something like that in a goblet squat. But after that, I'm going to start doing, you know, like single leg squatting and split squatting are two kind of pillars in our program. So for our, for our anterior loading progressions, like we're going to use those a lot more. Um, and then for hinging again, kind of similar, like I'll use, I use like a hay handle trap bar deadlift a lot for, um, for my, for my adults as a primary. And I'll also use, a um, but you know, again, I, I don't, we don't really RDL much. We don't really deadlift from the floor just because of the population that I'm dealing with, but definitely squatting before hinging though, for sure.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this has been in really amazing and I want to be mindful of your time. So I'm going to leave you with this last question uh, before we can send people your way is what would you yeah. say to a, like a, a new new trainer or not even a new trainer, even a seasoned trainer who wants to learn more, who wants to, you know, start building their principles, where should they go to start learning this stuff?
1: You know, I mean, I, I think that you just have to ask yourself, like, who do you want to be? You know, I mean, if before you, and this really applies to anything, it's like before you want to, before you start to learn things, figure out who is doing what you want to be. You know, I mean, figure that out. Like, what, what is the type, like, who do you want to work with? Um, you know, what is the population that you want to work with? Who do you not want to work with, you know, and just sit down and write all of those things out because once you do that, then you can figure out who is already doing that. You know, like who is, who is already performing those things at a high level. Then you go learn from that person or you, you learn from who they learned from. And that's, that's what I did is I just looked at, um, I, I mean, one of my early influences was my, was my, um, strength and conditioning coach when I got injured. But for, for me, I just asked him, I'm like, where did you learn all this stuff? You know, and who would you recommend? And and I, I interned under him. So I would recommend, number one, find somebody who's doing what you want to do and see if you can pay them for their time to learn from them, um, mentor under them, or at least get a list of people that they learn from and then start there. Um, and all of the rabbit holes that I've gone down have been through things that I've seen other people that I respect do, you know? And once I, you know, from there, I, you know, I've learned things and, that, and that's helped me to kind of, um, you know, figure out who I want to be. But in the beginning, you know, don't reinvent the wheel, figure out who is doing what you want to do. And then from there, you know, f- learn their principles, learn their mistakes. And then from there, go after what they learned and and branch off from there is what I would say.
0: It's really, it's really powerful. This has been a really insightful episode, Chris. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and thank hey-
0: so tell me if anyone wants to learn more from you or mentor under you, where should I send them?
1: All right. So I'm uh, fitness to underscores rehab at, um, Instagram. And, um, I'm also the, the.musical.athlete on Instagram. So I kind of have two sides of my business. The one side is like education for therapists and, uh, trainers certainly and, and massage therapists. And, uh, you know, again, it's just how we implement our system. Um, and you can learn more about that on our, on our Instagram for, um, I also work with uh, professional singers, believe it or not. We do, uh, we work with um, a couple singers from the Met and opera companies and, you know, stuff like that to help them to improve breath management and all of that. And we offer intensives for vocal teachers and it's, it's pretty interesting. My girlfriend is a, is an opera singer. So it's, it's been an interesting journey, but um, we also offer um, stuff on our, on our, our, um, Profile for uh, the musical athlete so you can find all that information there and you know if you just want to talk shop or learn a little bit more you know feel free to just drop me a, a DM or you know click on the link in my in my bio.
0: Awesome. I love that. And, you know, we didn't really get to talk a ton about the musical athlete, which um, really at all, but it's been really powerful for those of you who are like, wait, what is that? Go and check that out because I'm a former singer. I went, you know, that's how I got to New York. And I know that we've talked about this before. And I know that the principles that I have learned as a fitness professional, if I had known that back in the day when I was first learning how to sing, it would have changed the game for me. And so it has been really inspiring and awesome to watch how you have taken what you do and helped singers become better singers and made their fitness about their profession, which has been really awesome. So if you're a personal trainer too, you know, you definitely want to check that out because like you were saying in this episode, it's easy to write for each other. But when you can take what you're learning and write it for your people, go and look at the musical athlete because you're going to be, you're going to see how to do that.
1: No, absolutely. And, and, you know, they say the, uh, you know, the, the, the riches are the niches, I guess you could say. And like, for us, it's been, it's been interesting because like we're when with that population, nobody's ever heard of anything that we do, you know? So it's really cool to take it and to apply it to a population that is so mindful about their bodies and so um, grateful for that information. It's crazy um, working with singers. It's I mean, it's the opposite of, of you know, your 65 your year old with back pain. I mean, they are they're asking me questions about the larynx and, you know, the and, and anatomy and I, and I love that. So it's it's really cool. And, and that's another reason why I say like figure out who you want to work with and then just go after that population and make it make it a niche. Like we have Instagram now like we can we can go after whoever we want to go after so. Um, it's been really cool. And yeah, I'd love for you guys to check us out.
0: And singers know about the pelvic floor and they spend a lot of time with their with their ribcage.
1: They, they do and it's funny. Um, they, they know about the pelvic floor, but it's kind of like they learn about these things in isolation. That's what I find with a lot of, that's what I find with a lot of these different disciplines is it's like they know these words and they kind of know that the pelvic floor is somehow involved in breathing. But they've never put together the action of like, when I inhale, my pelvic floor does what? When I exhale, my pelvic floor does what? Like, my pelvic floor, how do I connect my pelvic floor to breathing? Does it act like, how does that actually work? You know, and once you start to explain it to them and cue them with, you know, exercise, they're like, wow, like that, that kind of connects. So yeah, it's, it's nice to, it's nice to kind of put together the pieces because then they have these like aha moments that, you know, have been really cool to see. Yeah,
0: it's really cool. All right, Chris, thank you so your time. I really appreciate
1: it. Sure, Beth. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the PT Profit Podcast. If you like this episode, chances are your friends will too. So it would be a huge service to us if you would please leave us a review and share with your friends on your social media channels.